0: Welcome to Hunger for Wholeness, a podcast from the Center for Christogenesis. I'm your host, Robert Nicastro. In our first episode of season two, Elia and Gabby speak with cosmologist Brian Swim. In part one of a two part episode, they reflect on Cosmogenesis, the story of an unfolding universe, one that inspires awe, wonder, and mystery. Our discussion begins with Brian sharing how he found inspiration in the big night sky.
1: Cosmology, what a fascinating area really and and i think gabby would second me on that um what what drew you into the study of cosmology maybe we can just begin on that question
2: yeah i've thought about that a lot and it was um two things when i was you know i was like four you know i don't know exactly how old i was but i was definitely younger than five i um i hit my bed uh, was upstairs and and it was it was right next to the window one window in the room at night um sometimes you know i would lie there and and look up we had my curtains were kind of gauze but you could see through them and i was just amazed by the stars really just just amazed me just just their presence i had no idea anything about them. Huh. and then but then the second thing was when i was um i was in second grade <clears throat> and um sister isabel mary i i think out of actually frustration with me because i was always a hyperactive kid she gave me a book <laughs> all about stars and oh. I, I just loved it and then i put together mm-hmm. my experience of the stars with these fantastic claims about you know how much they weighed and how big they were yeah so it went back to that time
1: gabby have you had the same experience with stars
3: yeah i mean in rhode island where i go for the summers i think you can really see the stars better because it's not like as big of a city as dc and so there aren't as many lights Mm -hmm. and yeah everybody goes to bed so the lights are out and i remember um we did this thing uh every summer where we would like camp out on the field where everybody played soccer. And I was like looking at, everyone else was like messing around with glow sticks. And I was looking up at the stars because I think they're just incredible.
1: (laughs) A few years ago, I was, um, was in New Zealand, and St. John's Observatory um, had a great, uh, St. John's University, I think, or Christchurch University had a great observatory uh, that we went up to at midnight. And and so you couldn't have any of your headlights on. And we just got to this place of total darkness. And then all of a sudden, they allowed us to look up into the night sky. And it was like Earth was turned upside down. It was like this whole blanket of stars and galaxies, you know, that were just fully alive over our heads. And it was, it's a pretty amazing experience. Brian, why should we pay attention to cosmology today? I think it's one of the most important areas that we should attend to. But what what's your two cents on that?
2: Well, you know, it reminds the question reminds me of, of um something that Neil deGrasse Tyson said that we our civilization has has created uh, so much light pollution that, uh, that um like most uh, most people living in cities never experience the Milky Way galaxy because it's, it's you just can't see it mm-hmm. and um, so we've created a civilization that blocks out the universe and so he asked the question in a uh, ironic way he says one might one one might wonder if we even need it (laughs) so we can just do away with the universe Mm. so i um i the way i the way i would answer that question um would be to say that the the night cosmology the night sky galaxies they they enable a moment of of deep reflection they and we and then we we find ourselves asking uh the the existential questions why am i here and what am i supposed to do and who am i even and i i think those questions are you know are essential. They're essential for us to become human beings. You know, I mean, so many animals are exquisite, elegant, profoundly intelligent, many in ways that we are not. But, you know, they don't have existential angst. They don't, you know, we never come upon right. horses, like, you know, wondering why they exist. But so that that kind of wonder, I think, is, is essential for being a human. And I, I have a quote from the from the Ms. Indians in South America. And they they said something that stunned me, said... um, Hmm. In order to become a human being, you must dwell in the immensity. Isn't
1: I love that, that. That is a wonderful saying. It reminds me of something that Nancy Abrams and her, her husband, Joel Abrams, in their book on 21st century cosmology said, <clears throat> without the big picture, we are little people. That's without yeah. really even just standing in the awe and wonder of the, of the cosmos, of the universe as we experience it, you know, to really know who we are. And that goes kind of hand in hand with what you said before, when we block out the universe, you know, cities that block out the Milky Way, we become very anthropocentric, you know, kind of all about me, you know, and we get wrapped up in human concerns in such a way we want to solve human problems, humanly (laughs) and not cosmically, not, not with the bigger picture in mind. Gabby, what, what, What question do you bring to Brian this afternoon?
3: I mean, I I think that not only are the immensities like physical things in our world, but they're also like, I mean, ideas, you know, like what would you say are like some immensities you like to dwell in?
2: You know, again, my own path has been largely focused on... You know, stars and galaxies, and, and the I would say as well the development of the universe. That's that's astonishing. And uh, just to give you a sense of what I mean, um, we have these elementary particles. I mean, they are small, all right. <laughs> the smallest thing we know, and and then when they they start to get involved with one another, and then they they create the stars and galaxies. They, there are no new particles brought in. It's the same of electrons and protons and neutrons from the beginning. And all they did was deepen their relationship. And now we have a trillion galaxies. That just blows my mind. And and just to give you one more, the that I've I just here's an immensity I reflect on a lot. Earth developed life something like three and a half billion years ago or so. And for 3 billion years life was unicellular meaning that every every living being was smaller than the sharp end of a pin now that 3 billion years of that that which is fantastic but then they started to get involved with each other they deepened their relationships and then we have giraffes and whales <laughs> nothing new came from some outer space visitor this is this is the power that is that is that is matter the power in matter so that that was those are the kinds of mysteries that I, I reflect on often
1: really Brian I mean this is quite, quite incredible the power of matter to deepen relationships and give rise to new things right without importing any new matter any other things like the potential of matter. Seems to be infinite, right? It's open yeah. to infinite yeah. possibilities. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And it, and I know that this, you know, <laughs> our views are very similar, of course, you know. And but I mean, this is something that you've emphasized: is that relationship is at the root of being. That's that's what fundamentally what we are. We are relationships, and we're deepening relationships. That's the story of the universe. And it's the story of our development.
1: Gabby showed me this book by I think Anthony Padilla, the cosmologist. Um, On numbers, you know, so cosmologists, if I understand, I mean, you can tell me is it seems to be a lot of mathematics, you know, seems to be a lot of um, at least theoretical physics has a lot of math built into it. Yeah, numbers—the the the, the um, kind of the magic of numbers, you know, like one seven five is the radius. Of, you know, um, it, it's it's just mind-boggling that we humans can even know this stuff. You know, that we—so who are we? That's the big question. Yeah. You know, we're emerging out of this universe, and then we have this amazing capacity to know it. On these levels of sophisticated mathematics and physics and science.
2: Yeah, it is really something... um and and that is you know to identify how we are new. <laughs> um, here's another immensity I reflect on. Just picking up on what you said, <clears throat> uh, we we um, diverged from the chimpanzees uh, around six million years ago, and um, during ever since that moment till now, uh, things have happened. But the human is 99 percent identical with the chimpanzee in terms of DNA. I mean, 99 percent identical. That's it, it's pretty close to identical. But there is it. But obviously there's some some kind of amazing difference. But what here's the part that really amazes me. Um, over the last 30 million years, the chimpanzees have stayed right there in Equatorial Africa, content, you know, happy, good life, and all the rest of it. But humans, we we had this restlessness and we and we had to explore and, and off we went and on million year journeys into into Asia and so forth. So that that this this restlessness is 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 evidence of of our sense that we we are we are still coming into existence. exist mm-hmm. we we have we have gone through a number of amazing changes but we have not completed the journey the journey of, of humanity i mean I, I think we are we're very much in the process of discovering um who hum, who who we are as human i mean i'm just trying to emphasize the way yeah. in which yeah you know and it, one last thing and it, so one of the difficulties <clears throat> with our we talked about before the the way cities have blocked out the universe some of that some of that hubris comes. From the um, the arrogance of thinking we know what humanity is.
1: Exactly, yeah. I think that's probably the greatest downfall of the human modern human person. Um, this kind of fallacy of misplaced concreteness, to use the Whiteheadian term, that yeah. we think our knowledge is self sufficient, that we actually know what we are, and I think just the opposite so your your notion you know like the 99 percent cousins you know the the lineage with chimps i mean i don't wake up thinking my nearest relative is a chimpanzee <laughs> so that's you know it's pretty remarkable and yet did something turn you know did something mutate did we get an extra gene but you know i don't think so like, what is it that made the human? What's that leap? What's that, you know, did we automatically go into this loop of self-consciousness and all of a sudden became knowers who know? Um, so there's, there's a tremendous mystery, I think, of the human person. Yeah, um, tremendous. And I, I, I honestly, I more and more, I just want to say, wait a minute, stop. You know, we're talking about the human person like we actually know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I want to say, take five, would you? Because... <laughs> we're we're somewhere we're like this in between species, you know we're we're sort of straddling we're 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 coming out of the animal world and yet we have this openness to this incredible sense of beauty and wonder and oneness and God. you know we have this amazing capacity, you know as the medievals was called the Kappa's day, you know we have the capacity for God or even to entertain the notion of God, something absolute, something more than us. So what are we? You know, are we are we like gods emerging out of a long cosmological and biological life, or what are we? That's the question.
0: Cosmology helps us see the bigger picture. It brings into focus our place in the grand sweep of biological and cosmological evolution. This is the story of the universe, our home. But what are we exactly? Next, Ilya, Gabby, and Brian dig deeper into Tayard's vision of the newosphere, and they consider technology's role in human evolution, the development of consciousness, and planetary life.
1: moving out of what we are anyway with technology you know technology is changing us as we speak you know we're moving beyond homo sapiens i think homo sapien sapiens um to something different you know a techno sapien or something beyond there's a beyondness built into the cosmos maybe
2: and one way to just underline what you're saying <laughs> this is just yet another immensity to reflect for, for three and a half billion years uh, life has proceeded in terms of, un, under the processes of genetic mutation and natural selection um, and there may be more going on but at least those are two massive insights that come out of biology natural selection and genetic mutation and that is how things happen that's how things evolve but that's changed it's no longer that way now there's this, this amazing Amazing species with the consciousness to reflect back on the processes themselves and to permeate to enter into them so now they we live on a planet that is evolving consciously for the first time in three and a half billion years i'm I, animals have consciousness for sure but but never there weren't animals that realized they had the power to shape a planet's evolution here we are
1: yeah we have di- directed oh willful consciousness directed consciousness yeah. consciousness that makes you know, that can make a difference.
2: And this goes back to Thomas Berry, his thought, and that is that there are different ways to talk about the human. Many of them are valid. I think this is one of them, that the human species is, is able to reinvent itself at a species level without changing its anatomy. So other species you know, would, would develop uh, you know, fins, or they'd learn to fly, or whatever it is. But we, with our development of technology and tools, and um, this is one of Teard' great points, of course, um, we, we are, are inventing ourselves. And Thomas Berry's point is that it's happened a number of times in the past, and and each one of these moments uh, wasn't an an example from genetic mutation. It wasn't just that at all. It was that consciousness had got involved with the creativity of the universe and gave birth to another form. I mean, we have different ways of talking about these other species, but I mean, other species of humans.
1: Yeah, Teilhard had that. You know, he 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 wrote about this that we had maxed out, so to speak, physical evolution. We have, in fact, we, you know, evolution has physically spread to sense all parts of the globe. But he says now we're on a new level of evolution, where it's the evolution of mind, you know, evolution. of, yeah. um, And that is, that is, you might say, the distinctly new uh, of the human level of evolution. It, it is distinctly, you know, um, it's not a break from, it's in some ways, it's, it's taking what was, and then maximizing what, you know, we're capable of as embodied conscious beings, like matter has this incredible openness and, and and i do believe in the consciousness of mat you know consciousness and and matter are yeah you know um in, in th- there i don't hold to a, a well i do in a sense more and more i'm becoming pantheistic so <laughs> I, I always think you know good pantheism maybe needs to be revived or something yeah um, all right we just ditched it too early, but the, there is something really amazing. You're right. I mean, the new phases of evolution are definitely the phases of conscious evolution, which makes yeah. technology the next level of conscious evolution. It's, yeah. Marshall McLuhan recognized this, you know, and he said, yeah, this is exactly what we should expect, you know, that mind would continue to expand itself, you know, in and through our developments of technology. So we shouldn't be overly surprised by our inventions. You know, this is exactly we're on the right path. The question is toward what?
2: we live in a time of, of um, as you know better than, than i just amazing rapid novelty throughout especially the, the technosphere and so it's inevitable that the confusion will reign and that a lot of bad choices will, will be made because we we've never done this before but right. but I, one of the old, that just the whole idea of the noosphere that came from tayard it, it i think it that really is a guidance system you know an image that can can help us bring technology into alignment with the fruitful development of our planet. yeah
1: no completely agree but you know I think honestly it's happening at such a rapid rate our development and I think definitely with technology evolution has sped up um I think we're always living like a half a century behind you know we're just catching yeah. up to the maybe the 20th century yeah uh, and yeah. and here we are in 2023 already and it, it's just sort of we, we can't yeah, I think it was McLuhan who said we're always kind of looking in that rear view mirror. You know, we're always, in a sense, evaluating ourselves by looking what has we have just passed instead of and, and the most difficult thing for us is to get our heads around where we are, you know, in this conscious evolution and to begin to look forward. And it's very hard for us. You know, many people find it really challenging, if not almost impossible, like to even get their, their head around technological evolution or you know, yeah, techno sapien yeah. life or the fact that, you know, consciousness is maybe the, the prime driver of both cosmological and biological life. You know, even that's such a huge.
2: Um, really, this is a question um, that relates to what you just said: um, the role of consciousness and the, the rearview mirror and catching up. I, I it, looking at the the question uh, just from the point of view of love. Um, w- one of the things that I that I have been attracted to is the notion that. Um, That we fall in love first, and then we awaken to the fact that we have. Say that
1: again, Brian.
2: Did you say we 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 fall in love first? So that we we fall in love, and we're unaware of it. We just something is really exciting to us, whatever. We're not thinking about it, but it's already happened. You Mm -hmm. know, and and then we sort of wake up and realize, wow, you know, I'm in love. Now that I mean, on a personal level, but like Gabby was saying, in terms of an idea or vision or a dream. And uh, so, I guess my point is. I'm picking up on your your statement. The consciousness lags behind, you know. So I think the um, the main action of evolution is at the level of the body. So bodies respond to each other um, with an energy that goes back for billions of years, and then mm-hmm. this this high level uh, self reflection is is really catching up with what has already taken place. So I, I tend to think of of these innovations in technology and so forth. You know, the these wizards they're captivated by something and. And they're moving forward. And they I think it it's it's I think it's the way in which the creativity works. I mean, anyway, I wanted to get your
1: Yeah, no, notes. no, 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 and then I'm gonna let Gabby uh, speak here too, but I think you're absolutely right. You know, Whitehead's notion that the ultimate principle of all life is creativity, you know, yeah. and and um, and, and Teilhard had something similar. He said the core energy of the universe is love. Um, And I tried to develop that as well into like a a, a metaphysics or a hyperphysics of love that the like the basis of all that is, is this energy of attraction and transcendence. It's an energy that pulls us on into the moreness of life. And we're driven by a passion for the more, you know, whether it's more knowledge or more beauty or, you know, something there's something there that's that's ahead of us. And of course, you know, for Teilhard, I think that's the whole point of Omega, you know, that principle of wholeness, which I would like to say is wholeness and love, you know, that is both within us, but more than us. And there's this moreness. And, you know, I guess that is the name of God. God is the more. You know, God is that infinite wellspring of um, yeah. ever, ever flowing love, you know, that's pulling us on to this, the moreness of life, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. It's that through all our trials and trajectories and the way evolution has dead ends and a lot of violence. And, you know, even on the human level, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And yet there is this unyielding energy of love you know there's something that gets us up every morning and says, I hope for, you know, a new day, new friendship, you know, more forgiveness, more peace, more something. We live yeah. for the moreness of life. And I think that love is what drives consciousness, you know, in a sense. Um, yeah, but love, is, love first. is first. Love is first, yes. Yeah. You're you're drawn, you're attracted to, and as you're attracted to, you want to know, right? So we always want to know that which we love. Um, And then yeah. as we come to know that which we love, that love deepens. So love love and knowledge have always worked together for the ancients, for the medievalists, for sure. And uh, Bernard of Clairvaux is one who said that love itself is a form of knowing. It's a deeper form of knowing. St. Augustine would say that um, wisdom is knowledge deepened by love. So it's not just head knowledge or knowing the facts of things, you know, even standing in the awe of the universe it is that higher knowledge of love and that it's a it's a knowledge that doesn't need a lot of words because it's a knowing by way of the heart You know, it's an it's a deep knowing, you know, and that's, I think, what we need today, that deep knowing, you know, that that deep awe, that that deep feeling or this belonging to this cut to this incredible, you know, home that we call cosmos um, and that earth, you know, as our as our mother, you know, that nurtures us. I think sometimes our knowledge has become too left-brained, too analytical, too logical, too wants to parcel every, you know, parse everything out into bite-sized bits that we can analyze and put into data and put into charts. And <laughs> it's like, it kind of kills love, quite honestly, <laughs> you know, like yeah, a lot yeah, of left brain thinking, just like, you know.
2: Got the fullness of, of the intellect, Sure, sure. Connecting back to what you said earlier, quoting. Uh, um, Nancy Abrams and on, on the fact if without the big picture uh, we become little. And I think I think going to the this idea that the love happens first, so that I think of all these these creative um, technologists, and they're they're just giving birth to all sorts of things, and I, I believe that they're they're definitely um, act, energized by this this drive to create. So this this is creativity happening, but it but for the most part, it's taking place in a form of consciousness that has blocked out the universe. Yeah, it's it's taking place in a smaller, tiny, tiny little fragment called capitalism. I'm yeah. not anti capitalism i i my point is that what what if if we can begin to think in terms of the the large-scale universe the the depths of time and biology right. millions of years are involved yeah. here and I, I think that is what that's when the, the wisdom that you're you're speaking of i think that's when it will, it will take place it yeah, might I take it might take a decade it might take a hundred thousand years i mean but that that has to happen
1: yeah well let me ask gabby because you know she's a younger person and um you know, where where are you on this question of wisdom and love in the universe? And what do you hope for?
3: I mean, to, to, para- to paraphrase you, um, you said the human species is one of uh, reinvention, right? And I was thinking that love is kind of seeing someone else creating and reinventing themselves and like recognizing that. And mm. afterwards, you realize I like I saw that person, you know, I knew them. Or I saw the universe, and I think that that's really important—not just to love people, but you know, to to look up at the sky and to love like the billions of years that you can see. I think yeah, nice. that that's really meaningful.
1: Yeah, that's great, Gabby. Yeah. What question? Any other questions for Brian? That you know, as you enter into this conversation,
3: what do you see uh, when you look at the universe? You know, like what what show? What do you see when you love? the night sky and the universe and the stars.
2: It's been an ongoing development of my eyes. Uh like I said at the start, at, at first uh I had the sensation of little points of light and um and you know, surrounded by mist. But then um then as I as I learned and grew, I um <clears throat> I learned for instance that some stars create all the elements of a body and then they explode in a supernova explosion. And so I um you know we can see the we can see the remnants of some supernova explosions and and I so I would i would i would begin to see the elements of my body out and not literally but 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 the same kind of supernova explosion led to each of us so that was different you see i would see the supernova as the creator of my body hmm. and then um i recently I've, I've i've begun to see that as um as a gift so the supernova is is an amazing manifestation of the generosity in the universe and the and the um the, the most recent uh, change in my in my the way i look look at God uh, um it's what I just I just wrote about in this last book I wrote when I now when I look at the sky this is gonna sound strange gabby but when I look, look at the sky I I'm looking at that which gave birth to my looking so the the stars not only created the elements of my body that process of evolution led to the emergence of a mind that could look back at them and know so you are the it.
1: stars looking at yourself
2: yeah mm. yeah yeah that changed so then it, it was a way of leaving behind the idea that I'm inside my brain and the stars are out there, this object.
0: It became circular. This concludes the first half of Elia and Gabby's conversation with Brian Swim. Please be sure to listen to part two. A special thanks to our partners at the Fetzer Institute. If you'd like to dig deeper into today's conversation... You can support Hunger for Wholeness on Patreon for access to transcripts, as well as additional content produced by our team at the Center for Christogenesis. I'm Robert Nicastro. Thanks for listening.